Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back for another extra spooky episode of the Triple Threat Theater podcast. This is episode number 71, and my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Dax. Mills. We have a special guest with us. Would you look at that? <laughs> Millsy, a repeat offender, if you may. Yeah, our first returning guest, uh, getting close to joining the repeat offender list with James Hong. Welcome back, Tony Sedani. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for coming, T. I'd come back every episode if I could, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much I love the show. Oh, well, that's sweet. That's that's far and away the nicest thing anyone's ever said about the show. That's almost the first thing anyone's ever said about the show, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> also, also true. Uh, also heartbreakingly true. <laughs> Is it self-deprecating when you're just telling the truth about uh, how nobody cares? Nope. Nope. I think it's uh, painfully accurate. I love the transparency. It's just the truth in that case. <laughs> Regardless. Happy to have you, T. Thank you. Yes, welcome back. So the last time we had you on, if I'm not mistaken, we talked about Guy Ritchie films. Correct. And I remember, uh, not to say that you were disappointed, but uh, you were hoping to get uh, a more eclectic group of films that maybe you weren't so familiar with. Yeah, I just, I feel like I liked those so much anyways, and... Just, I was hoping for something I think that I'd never seen or just, you know, weren't familiar with. Yeah. Mm. So, how do you feel that the lineup for this this episode compares to your last uh, episode? Uh, <laughs> I'm excited because for one reason, for for uh, the theme of it, and um, how peculiar it popping up is. But the actual lineup. Um, um, I'll, I'm looking forward to coming back again. <laughs> <laughs> but you are excited because you like to culturally appropriate. <laughs> no comment. Tony, what, what episode did you miss out on that you, you most wish you could have been here for? Hmm. Um, That's a good question. Quickly. You have to remember all 70 yeah, or 69 previous episodes you were not on. Oh man, I, I think I would have loved to be on the spiders episode. That would have been fun. Oh, um, oh creepy crawlies just recently. Feel, yeah, I feel like I had a lot to say. Like I, I feel like I wanted to keep jumping in on the conversation when I was listening. Um, so you heard us talk about that dog shit movie Spiders, and you yeah. wanted to be a part of it? Yeah, more so because I love arachnophobia so much. But <laughs> this is why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> most recently, the store Gordon, but um, I mean, I you know. I've talked about those so much. I guess it doesn't really. I was going to say that would yeah. just be the same thing that happened right. with uh, Guy Ritchie, right? Because you already yeah. saw all those. And yeah, liked them. yeah. That's just you know, that's we would just be gushing about it, which we do anyways privately. So I guess uh, doesn't really need well, to be. On a well, what? if Tony wasn't a constant walking contradiction, I would be disappointed. So it's good <laughs> to hear. What's your buy, borrow, burn for Stewie Gordon? Um, Reanimator buy from Beyond, borrow, burn, Dagon. 
Mm. No surprises there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of spooky stuff, uh, this episode is titled A Horror, a.k.a. Cultural Appropriation. And um, I think we sounded pretty surprised at the end of last episode. For sure. When, <laughs> when this one came up, because out of like 200 plus themes what are the chances like when we came up with the uh j horror episode with ringu chakushinari and juan we also were like hey wouldn't it be fun if we also did the three american remakes of those movies never thinking that with all those like 200 plus episodes we'd actually get around to it and like five episodes later random number generator gave us that trio so we are going to be talking today the ring the grudge and one missed call Mm -hmm. i don't know if it'll come out in the edit but i feel like we both sat there in disbelief for a second (laughs) i especially was like oh shit we screwed up something on this spreadsheet Yeah, forgot to delete that episode from the list that's what i thought when i saw it i was like wait a minute we already talked about these completely forgetting we like planned this it took far too long for it to register in my lizard brain that that's what happened. Cause I was really, thankfully, I think you took the charge on that one. Cause I was still sitting here like, what did we do? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I usually, you know, obviously like to guess the episodes every time and actually popped in my brain. I was like, Oh, I wonder if they would do the same ones in English. But I was like, no, nah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> Which ended up being, yeah. so I didn't even guess that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Those were like back-to-back concepts we put into our giant master list. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm surprised it happened, but random number Jenny keeps hey. us guessing. So um, I'll just quickly say that I had seen The Ring and The Grudge before. I mean, Dax and I, I feel like numerous times on the show already when talking about horror movies and stuff have mentioned that we both saw The Grudge uh, in the theater and I don't think either of us had seen it since. And we both counted as like, one of, if not the last time a movie actually like got under our skin, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. I mean, I think that's one of the best, one of like the best moments we've ever had on the show because it was live <laughs> where we determined that that was the movie that made us yeah. want to crawl out of our own skin the most. I remember I thought I was going to be alone in that and like thinking like it's so dumb and lame that that movie is the one that I was like creeped out by. Back in Same. like the early 2000s. There, but. There's no way I'll remember what episode that was. So I hope you remember. Or I might just have to hit the archives somehow. Because I would like to listen to that conversation again. Yeah, people can go back and find it. <laughs> we were probably talking about scary movies. So you can, I mean, there's a fair number of those episodes. Mm-hmm. But, no. but yeah, had never seen One Missed Call before. Um, and, you know, hadn't revisited The Grudge in a long time. Had been wanting to. How about you guys? What here had you seen, and um, what was your history with these movies? Same for me. I saw The Ring and The Grudge both in the theater. Uh, Was pretty familiar with the One Missed Call poster for whatever reason, but never saw it. Didn't even know who was in it. I didn't know a single person that was in this movie until I watched it. Mm -hmm. Tony? Um, I saw The Ring and The Grudge like when they came out on DVD like in the video store, just because of all the buzz. I never actually saw them in the theater. And one missed call I never knew existed until you guys <laughs> talked about the the Japanese one. Oh, was it Japanese or Korean or yeah, yeah, yep, uh, Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. So when you guys talked about that, I I never even heard of it, and then just hearing the concept, that was it. Sounds very interesting. So I was excited. I feel like uh, 
The ring was like a cultural phenomenon. Oh, yeah. I mean, it started the J-horror craze in the U.S. Pretty much was it, right? Mm-hmm. For, Which is kind of crazy because it was like pretty um, high profile, seemingly had a decent budget, like high profile actors. Well, it's uh, funny you say that. I mean, it does have Brian Cox, who's like a that guy actor. But the um, when I was reading about the American remake, um, Gore Verbinski, the director, said that he specifically wanted to go with a lead who wasn't like a household name or whatever. Oh. And I think that this, you know, this was before, I think it was like the year before Mulholland Drive, which was like, I feel like her her big oh. Thing. I guess I'm just misremembering, yeah, the past. Maybe like the year before or the year after, and then she goes on to be in uh, like King Kong, which was a high-profile movie, but mm-hmm. I don't think she was like super well-known at the time. At least that was what Gore Verbinski said, that he didn't want like a big-time recognizable yeah. actress. And then like the guy who plays the lead in that is like, he was famous oh, he in, nobody. He was famous in uh, New Zealand, where he's from. Mm-hmm. But then like Brian Cox, to me at least at the time, would have been the only even remotely recognizable person that might have been around the time of X-Men 2, you know, when yeah. he was yeah. General Striker. I feel, I feel like he was in, like, everything around that time. He just started popping up in every movie. Yeah. Maybe, like, Gore Verbinski then. Just him being attached to it seemed like a big deal, too. Who, Gore Verbinski? Yeah. Well, what else had he done before this? Like, why would that have been a big deal? I don't know. It just seems like he was, like, a big... I want to say this is maybe the second movie he ever directed. Really? He came from, like, music videos. And uh, this might even be the first thing he ever directed. Oh, no, no. He had done done Mouse Hunt and The Mexican before this. But, like, Pirates of the Caribbean is what he's really known for, and those didn't come until after. Oh, yeah. I Hmm. guess I'm just thinking of, like, what came later, because it seemingly was... Oh, those came after, after The Ring? Yeah, like, these are names now, but I think at the time, not so much. Pirates came after the ring. Pretty sure. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, two thousand three. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking of like the names now. I'm just thinking they must have been because the well, certainly the movie was a huge deal at the time, but I guess it really just blew up things for a bunch of lesser known people. Yeah, I mean, I had seen Mouse Hunt when I was younger. I remember my family went to see that like Christmas Eve in the theater. And, like, I was a fan of that as a kid. I, I had never and still haven't seen The Mexican, which I think is Brad Pitt. Like, some kind of... It is. I like that movie. Drama. But, uh, yeah, this, I remember being the first time I'd ever heard of Gore Verbinski because I was like, oh, what are the chances that a guy named Gore made this, like, horror <laughs> movie? I feel like The Mexican was a big deal, too, for some reason. Or it's just because who was in it. it was, you know, Brad Pitt and... Mm-hmm. Was it Julia Roberts? I believe so. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, the kind of things that he's known for are like these visually striking kind of movies like this or Pirates of the Caribbean, Rango, you know, Lone Ranger, that kind of thing. So I feel like this was kind of, you know, this followed by the first Pirates were like his awakening or like the the general public's awakening to who and what he is personally. But no, I'd say so. I think I, unfortunately, uh, I feel like I think I thought he was more uh, prolific than he actually is. Yeah. But then, yeah, so I did not see The Ring in the theater. Um, I remember some friends coming into school and telling me about, like not telling me about it, but saying they saw a movie called The Ring and that it was really good and I should see it. 
and having no concept like even like I I ended up seeing it later on a, another friend and I rented it from Blockbuster and going into watching it I thought it was going to be about like a, a ring you would wear like a, I don't know a cursed wedding ring or something like that like had no idea sitting down which is the, probably the best way mm-hmm. to see something like this you know well yeah because ultimately like what the ring is doesn't like you never refer to that thing as a ring right. you know otherwise yeah so it's kind of funny because i think we talked about with um when we did the previous episode where we discussed ringu that the ring is like the the circle of light at the top of the well that uh Samara in this case or Sadako in the original is trapped in and the the tagline for this movie was before you die you see the ring and apparently that was never even a thought in the mind of the original Japanese director uh he meant it more as like the cyclical nature of the curse where like in order mm. to save yourself you have to pass it on and then it's like you know just a never ending cycle yeah mm-hmm which is interesting. It's just funny that it has yeah. it can have multiple meanings depending on your interpretation. Yeah, I just always think of like what's from like the poster and everything. I was I always immediately think of the well. I'm just yeah. being like, I mean, I always also think about because the phone rings. But <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a see. Never even not once until just now would I ever have even <laughs> thought of that either. Yeah, that never occurred to me until I was actually researching for uh, this episode. Um, I read that oh. somewhere and I was like, oh yeah, I never knew that either. But, um, yeah, so saw the ring, saw the grudge. Um, this is the first time for one missed call. Now, Dax and I have both recently, because of the show, watched the Japanese originals. Tony, I know you had said that you wanted to, but time was, like, kind of not on your side. Were you able to, or did you end up watching the Japanese ones as well? Yeah, so I seen uh, Ringu, like, years ago and um, enjoyed it. And then I just actually recently was visiting you and I purchased it at Soundgarden again, the Arrow version, which was cool. So I rewatched that just recently again, uh, which I love. And I watched I watched everything. I watched The Grudge and One Missed Call, which was really hard to get through. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I watched all of them before I watched the American ones. Okay. Nice. That's commitment to the show. <laughs> I applaud you, sir. Yeah, I remember Tony being like, yeah, I'm I'm going to be away that weekend, so I'm not going to have a lot of time. And I, I said, like, well, you know you don't have to watch the Japanese ones. And I believe his response was, "You well, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a student of the game, see? <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. Without further ado, shall we dive into our first film? Please. All right. Uh, so from 2002, we have The Ring. What did you do to her? your daughter you killed Samara didn't you you killed her when your wife my wife was not supposed to have a child Mr. Morgan what are you doing whispers you can hear them all the time at night in your sleep even the damn horses. Mr. Morgan, come out of and there. Those pictures. Oh, Christ. The things she's showing you. She's still showing them. And she'll never stop. You come in here. Proves that. 
Where is she? Please. I have to stop her. If I don't, my son will die. Oh, yes. He will. She never sleeps. Wait. No. So this was based on Ringu, the film from 1998 by director Hideo Nakata, uh, as we mentioned, directed by Gore Verbinski and um, written by a guy named Aaron Kruger, who I feel like has gone on to become quite the, uh, again, I don't mean to say this in a negative way. I know I've done it before, but a jobber because he's just written like a ton of stuff. Hmm including Scream 3, uh, The Ring 2, three of the Transformers live-action movies from Michael Bay, Revenge of the Fallen, Dark oh, of the Moon, yeah, Age yeah. of Extinction. Okay. He also wrote the uh, American live-action Ghost in the Shell movie, the recent uh, Tim Burton live-action Dumbo, and he's also one of the writers on Top Gun Maverick. So he's out there grinding. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I didn't mention it before, but he also wrote Reindeer Games. <laughs> The Ben Affleck. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Is that, on, is that on a trifecta? Because it should be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to oh, check. God. Honestly, I haven't seen that in ever, but I love it. And it kind of in the ballpark of this movie. He also wrote the movie Skeleton Key, which I really like. Is like a fun, fun horror movie from hmm. around the same time. I don't know if I know that one. I can't remember the lead actress, uh, but yeah, it's a good movie. It's about hoodoo. And body swapping. Mm. Mm. Your favorite. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I think I looked it up on my letterbox because I was trying to remember when the last time was I watched The Ring. And I, it was like five years or so ago when uh, the movie uh, A Cure for Wellness came out. And I wrote in my review that like I saw that movie and wanted to go back and check out The Ring and see, you know how it held up as another Gore Verbinski, like, you know, creepy horror movie. And um, I've always liked The Ring, but on that viewing, I gave it a three. It, like, didn't hold up for me as well. Hmm. But uh, I can say that watching it again this time, I don't know if I, I just go back and forth every viewing, but I really enjoyed it this time, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. T? Um, I haven't seen this since the early 2000s, or, you know, when it came out on video. Didn't like it as much as back then. I think I remembered fairly liking it, but this time I just kept finding things that annoyed me about it, like plot elements and just the rules of everything. Kind of was annoyed by it. Oh boy, here we go with the <laughs> rules, baby. I love a good rules discussion. <laughs> so your favorite? <laughs> what about you, Dex? For me, I like remember like. Again, I just remember it being such a big deal at the time. I saw it in the theater. I remember like liking it enough. I always remember it having like a distinct look, which I don't know how you like refer to it correctly or if it's like color coded or what, but it's definitely got like a maybe even like a green kind yeah. of overall. Everything's green. They said that they wanted to uh give it kind of an uneasy, sickly feeling to everything. I mean, that makes sense because I think that plays into it. And watching it again, I was like kind of uh, impressed with the look. One thing that's always stuck with me, even since first seeing it, is like the first um, the first dead girl you see where they the mom finds her in the closet. Mm-hmm. She's got like that creepy, like, you know, 
neck twitch thing. Like I can remember that getting like a huge pop in the theater. Like twenty <laughs> years ago, I remember that, and and me, you know, pre, well, not pre internet, but things not as readily accessible back then. But just remember, like that being like burned into my memory as like such a creepy visual, mm-hmm. which still held up pretty good. So yeah, I still i I enjoyed it. I mean, I think we both enjoyed Ringu, and this is like pretty close story wise. Yeah, they're actually very similar um, character, story, plot progression. The big difference is um, kind of the backstory and origin of the the curse, and because um, like in it's not a hundred percent fully explained in this one. I feel like how and where the curse comes from in the Japanese one. It was like Samara's mom was like a psychic. And, um, she like correctly predicted like a volcano eruption or something. And then she became like this weird media sensation where people weren't sure if she was legitimately psychic or like was a fraud. And, um, like she ended up getting killed or something, but her psychic powers had been passed on to her daughter, Sadako. And then like, she had like really strong psychic powers where she could kill someone just by thinking about it. And was, like, fucked up because her mom had been murdered or or committed suicide or something like that. And in this one, it's weird, like... So, what I found out reading about this movie is that um, there's, like, a fair amount of deleted scenes. And it feels like there was a lot more explanation in the original cut of the movie that they decided to remove. And I don't think that stuff is necessarily... I don't think the movie's hurting for that stuff being gone. But what they kind of insinuate a tiny bit in the movie, and they hinted at more apparently in the deleted scenes, is that uh, Brian Cox's character and his wife, Samara's mom, wanted a child but couldn't have one. And that's why in the one scene he yells like, my wife wasn't supposed to have a child. Mm. But like the the mother wanted a kid so bad that they like, I think they mentioned in the actual like final cut of the movie that they traveled to another country which to me I thought was like, oh, they went to see some doctor who was like a fertility doctor or something. But I guess in the original deleted scenes, it was insinuated that like they made some kind of deal with a demon or like with a, oh. like a, a, a sea god or something like that to get a child. And then like that's where the curse comes from. But like some of that is in the movie. Some of it's not. Like, did you guys get an impression? Like, yes. What would you have said was the origin of, like, her powers or the curse? Or did you feel that there was an explanation? I didn't think there was one. Well, Just, I, like, I, yeah. creep, like, like, creepy, like, uh, adopted daughter or something. I got the impression. I thought I missed something, actually, because I got the impression that, like, it was, like, some kind of shady, like, like, yeah, like, it was, like, a deal with the devil, sort of. But I thought I missed that, like, earlier in the movie. I just assumed I missed it. Yeah, they again, they never 100% say. Like, it does feel like they went somewhere and adopted her, but then there's, like, at least one shot of some paperwork when I think maybe the uh, Naomi Watts' boyfriend, like, ex-boyfriend character is, like, doing some research, and it says something about, like, the birth, which does insinuate that Samara was their actual biological daughter. But, um, yeah, since I already mentioned it, I'll just say from my notes here, um, so... 
one of the reasons that they cut the movie down is that they wanted to get the PG-13 rating so that it would get more viewers in the theater. Because right. originally it was more violent and bloody, apparently. So, for example, Samara's death in the movie, you see her mom put, like, the bag around her head and then dump her into the well. Mm-hmm. But in the original cut, she puts the bag on her head and then, like, she's struggling. So she picks up a rock and, like, beats her in the head a bunch with it Ooh. and then throws her down the well. That would have that been nice. <laughs> That would have been nice. And then um, what actually made me go down this path of the delete, of the deleted scenes is I have the Blu-ray. And on the Blu-ray, there's a special feature called Don't Watch This. And so, of course, I watched it. And it's basically a mini, like, 15-minute version of the movie with scenes from the actual film that also has deleted scenes in it. So it's almost like instead of just watching, here's scene one, here's scene two, it's like they turned the deleted scenes into like a mini short film version of the movie so that you have context for them, which was kind of neat. So there is a scene where while on the island, Naomi Watts goes and talks to some local fishermen and they tell her that uh, Richard and Anna got, got help getting pregnant from, quote, overseas which can be viewed as some sort of demonic intervention. And then there was supposed to be a uh, a bookend at the beginning and the end of the film. Do you guys know the actor Chris Cooper? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, so he was originally in the opening scene and the closing scene as like a guy who's in prison who Naomi Watts, as the reporter, was interviewing. And he's like a child murderer. So the re- like they would have introduced him at the beginning and then he would have come back at the end. At the end of the movie, you know, when they're making the duplicate copy of the tape to save Naomi Watts' kid from the curse, he looks at her and says, like, well, what's going to happen to the person we show it to? And that's kind of how the movie ends. There was going to be a scene where Naomi Watts was going to take the tape and show it to him because she felt like, oh, he deserves to die anyway, so I'll let him die from the curse. Mm. Mm. Which I don't feel like the movie needs. I like it ambiguous. I think I like it even more the way the Japanese version did it, where <laughs> the the mother, the Naomi Watts character, decided that they were going to show the tape to her father because he was already old and going to die soon anyway. Like, that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> I remember liking that. <laughs> and uh, there was also another ending that they filmed where, uh, like, after they make the copy of the tape, Rachel goes to Blockbuster and just leaves it on the employee Ooh. recommendation shelf. Wow. <laughs> so it's like random who's going to get cursed next to save Damn. her son's life. That's crazy. Cold-blooded. Yeah. I think I like that ending the best. <laughs> yeah. That honestly, honestly, I think that would have been that would have hit it hard. That would give me another star just for that for me if that ending. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so Tony Sedani. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a cool idea for an ending too. Yeah, I definitely it like it better than the Chris Cooper thing, but I did think it was weird that, you know, I never really questioned it before. Like, where does the curse come from? I guess it's enough for me to be able to just say, oh, she was like wronged and killed in like a a violent way. So that's enough to make a curse happen. I mean, that again, I, I, I didn't write all that shit down again. But like, if you go back and listen to the previous episode where we talked about the Japanese films, I ran down like the inspiration for all the kind of hauntings and like it's basically it's it's in the beginning of the movie the grudge it says like you know if somebody is killed in a violent manner then like that place becomes you know affected Mm -hmm. by it and it's you know Mm -hmm. 
I can't remember what those kind of creatures are called, those ghosts, but like that's enough for me, I think. But it is interesting to know that they had this idea of like, oh, they they made a deal with like a sea demon or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and that cursed their entire family. You know I like a sea demon personally. Oh, I know you so. do. I knew you were gonna be down for that. Yeah, for sure. I found myself like I really like like the mystery that they try to unfold in the movie. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's not too much like creepy happenings throughout like a maybe a typical horror movie. I mean it it's like peppered in there, but a lot of it feels like a detective story with horror elements to me. Yeah. Until you get towards the end. And then it really pops off. But I found myself like liking like it's like kind of like a two-headed snake almost for me because it's like I really like the the detective story and the work that goes on. And then – but like something for me, I almost like don't love that. Like all that's like – all her hard work to get to the bottom of the story is like just undone when it's just like, oh, she's just evil, you know, and she just still is out here cursing and killing, you know. Mm-hmm. It felt – it left me kind of like – I don't know how the best way to put put up a kind of like a hollow feeling almost like I kind of just liked it better as like all the creepy elements, but then like all that work throughout the movie to like get to the bottom of what happened actually had some stakes where ultimately it doesn't feel like it did. I kind of like that hopeless feeling. Surprise, surprise, because you love a hopeless feeling. There's so many movies out there. I feel where like the trope is, you know, there's a ghost or a spirit with um, like unfinished business. And when you help them solve it, then they go on to the afterlife. And th- I like that this isn't yeah. one of those. It's like it feels like that's what it's going to be. Like she finds the body down in the well and they give her a burial or whatever. So it's like, oh, we've set it to rest. But, oh, nope, that's not going to do it. Yeah, And no, then it becomes kind of like a... Uh, what do you call it? And it follows kind of thing mm-hmm. where like there is no stopping it. You just have to pass it on to mm-hmm. somebody else and make it their problem. Yeah, I, I agree with Millsy. I um that's the one thing like I really liked about this particular one. It was just that it it you know, you expect it, especially in American version, you would think that the American version they would have made it more Americanized and they clean it up nice and neat. <laughs> but which which they don't, which is good. But um I feel like the Japanese one I like way more because uh, with that whole aspect, because they were going to kill the grandpa. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the way it worked <laughs> out better than this one in particular. Like some of the, I don't know. It just didn't feel as, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I can't explain why this one. Maybe because I watched the Japanese one first, and then I watched this one right after. It just felt it didn't feel as authentic or something. Like it just felt like a straight copy. Copy of that. It was just mm-hmm. not as good. But regardless, I still still commend it that it that it did that um, hollow ending like that. Because uh, you would expect them to do it the other way and wrap it up with a nice bow. Uh, yeah, I yeah. like that feeling of like, uh, it's a curse and there's no mm-hmm. getting rid of it. So, you know, as much as it sucks, make it somebody else's problem. Yeah, I guess maybe it might, for me, it might be if it wasn't just like so much of the runtime was to get to the, without, not so much creepy business, but just getting to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. For adult me, just be like, well, that just feels like a waste of time to watch any of those scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit, a little well, bit. Well, then you got a creepy horse. I mean, you got a creepy horse in there. So, I mean, if you think about it logically, from the like, it is like the characters are trying to figure out what's going on and how to stop it. And you know, it took all of that like research and whatever to 
get to the point where they could learn, oh, it, you can't stop it. And so it's like they did sort of learn something throughout, not what you'd expect them to learn. But yeah, yeah I felt just that just that being like kind of unsatisfying for me with this mm-hmm. one. I mean, still like enjoying like the, the film and like look and acting and everything. And not even say mm-hmm. I hate it or anything. I just felt myself being like missing. I guess maybe even like mo- if it was going to end so creepy, I feel like I would have rather been just creepy throughout rather than so much of a procedural detective story i think yeah i mean they disjointed for me i think is how it ultimately kind of felt i mean i like it personally but i guess they kind of they back themselves into a corner with the concept being that you know you are cursed and then you have seven days before something's going to happen to you and it is kind of again refreshing that this isn't like something like one missed call for example because we also just watched that and we'll get into it but like when you become cursed in that one, it's just like everywhere you look, you're seeing these pointless ghosts with mouths where their eyes should be and things <laughs> mm-hmm. like just for cheap scares and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that this one personally, I like that this one instead of that has like a sense of building dread and it's literally got like a ticking clock where it shows you like day one, day two, and it just feels more hopeless as time goes on. And I, I personally like that myself. Some of the things, though, as far as the rules go, like, I know the Japanese one also had the same ones, but, like, just, like, why why does someone have to call on the phone? Like, why can't it just be a cursed tape? And then, like, I know you need that mm-hmm. to, like, kind of set set the story for, for the audience, but I don't know if there's a better way to write that. But I just hate the aspect that something has to call you on the phone. It just, like, feels... I don't, I don't know. It just seems so cheap or easy. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think... I don't know how many movies this would apply to i think there's one i can remember particularly that like other like cell towers or cell phones were haunted or something there's some other movie pulse yes yeah i think that's exactly it where it's like i don't just necessarily kind of i don't like love that i mean i know it's like sure it's a new idea but like as an idea i'm not crazy about like you know Mm -hmm. haunting of haunting a vhs tape or technology yeah it's like yeah i mean that's already weird enough like a vhs VHS tape is required for the for the curse to so i see it he's saying like then then you're gonna get called on the phone it's like and then the photos start showing all warped and everything right it's like right so it's like i guess she's got she's got some kind of aura or whatever i don't think they really get into too much of that but then she comes through a TV, you know. It's just interesting to think, like, you know, if you, like, if you were, you know, living out in a cabin somewhere and you didn't have a phone, mm-hmm. like, would the curse still occur? Like, if they couldn't right. call you, or or what if you just don't pick up the phone? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that when uh, her son watches the tape, she doesn't answer it. She just picks oh, it up right. and slams it back down. Oh yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> But yeah, it it, it is weird. Cur- I mean, it, it just yeah, yeah. Like the the um, in case the, you hadn't heard, you have yeah. seven days now. Right, you got the seven days, but this is just a crazy. I, I think that that it's it's more just for the effectiveness of the movie and right. like for the viewer. Yeah. Like it's like a plot plot point. It's interesting though because it you know you're getting on the verge of VHS kind of going away. So it's like if that movie doesn't get made, it never gets made, right? Because like. <laughs> I mean, I think we talked about that on the episode where we talked about Ringu that, yeah. uh, like, by the time this one especially came out, we were already, like, pushing mm-hmm. VHS being a thing of the past. Like, they got oh, this yeah. movie in right under the wire. Yeah. And, 
For sure. You know, like, I know that a new Ring movie came out, um, gosh, not super long ago. Rings? Uh, 2017 yeah i haven't seen that one but like is the vhs tape still part of it or did they move on to like someone digitized it <laughs> and now it's on youtube or whatever right yeah i mean 2000 2002 was probably like perfect because it was definitely believable to be like some creepy ass cab and all it has is a mm-hmm. a tape player you know yeah. so that is that does work yeah. back then but yeah I'd, I'd be curious but also probably annoyed at however they try <laughs> to adapt that to today like yeah, yeah, that actually just, makes me curious to see Rings mm-hmm. now, just to see. Uh, have Have either of you seen it? No, no. no. I am curious yeah. though, for sure. With that said, though, I loved all like the tactile, like VC, um, video editing, like buttons and technology, like and all the sounds. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I loved all that stuff. I eat it up. So it's like great to see all that stuff. <laughs> like when she was in the editing yeah, room that, and everything. That place she has to go to to like do the tracking so she mm-hmm. can find the lighthouse where it's got like dials right, and things. Right. Yeah. 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 That stuff's all good. What'd you guys think about the actual video, the the VHS though, the footage? Uh, I, it, it's fine. I like the, it's the f- visual style, like that very stark, like almost uh black and white look to a lot of things like the shot with just the chair or the ladder falling. Yeah. If I think to like all the times I've gone to like any like uh, art gallery or art museum in Boston, <laughs> I I could have been easily haunted like dozen or so times because mm-hmm. you see those kind of videos all the time. Well, I I think that they it was amateur when they created that because it just looks way too polished and just like commercial or something. Like the one in the Japanese one, I I like, but this one just looked like it just wasn't so great. You don't want that high. Yeah. Don't give them that high production value. Uh, it was like one. not gritty enough. It just looked like. I don't know. I wasn't impressed. That's a good point. I mean, that is kind of a good point. Yeah, it was very like uh, well edited and clear. And I mean, it's kind of like interesting again for like the detective story bit of it to like kind of connect the dots and weird horse shit. And uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, the mirror, the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. Um, Real quick side part to that. I have when I first saw it, and this time too, I just always find it like real disturbing. Brian Cox's death scene. With him with the horse stirrup thing in his mouth. Like, just that whole thing. The way he acts, I mean, he's a great actor anyway, but I just always found that twice over disturbing. This time I was thinking to myself, like, it would be just as easy to just bring, like, a toaster in and drop it in the bathtub. He had, like, how long had he been setting up that crazy setup with, like, all the electrical equipment there? (laughs) He made it a big deal, but it's just like... Yeah. uh, I found that unsettling second time. Mm Mm-hmm. I, maybe it'd just be the horse thing in his mouth. I don't know why that was. Yeah, it's like this certainly some put some extra <laughs> theatrics into that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, can I say question for the table? Does anyone else hate the kid? Oh yeah, terrible, right? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, actually, I don't really. I don't mind him personally. No, God no. Yeah, I found him like jarring, like yeah, distracting even. Yeah, because in what way? Just, just his acting, I guess, or just like the character he's playing combo of, but it's just like he um, didn't need to be creepy or anything. Like I feel like the kid in the in the original ring seemed to be, I don't know, like I had more empathy for him or something. I was yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like rooting for this kid to survive. (laughs) (laughs) This kid sucks. Yeah, I mean, I I don't love in movies when you know they have kids written as though they're like you know, an adult or mature beyond mm-hmm. their age. And yeah. they, there's a little bit of that in this kid. Oh, certainly. But I didn't think it was like 
to a degree that really bothered me. I mean, he's not in the movie a ton even. Yeah, I think like every he's not in it a ton, but every time he is, it's just feel feels like he's like serving the Yeah. I don't know, to progress the plot or something. Yeah, like when he watched the video, I was just like, okay, so <laughs> Cody's like, I'll be too. Good. T's the one person here with kids and he's like, Man, I don't care if a kid dies. <laughs> Oh, I would have showed it to him if he hadn't watched it himself. <laughs> Fun fact about that kid, uh, David Dorfman is the name of the actor. He went on to be in a couple other things like uh, the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was in the sequel to this movie, The Ring 2. He was in Drillbit Taylor. And then he went to um, Harvard Law School and is now a legal counsel for the U.S. House of Representatives. Wow. All right. But just a couple years ago, he did cameo in an episode of Game of Thrones as well. Interesting. Well, he can't act, so that's why he didn't pursue acting. So, Ooh. Wow. and tea, <laughs> sips tea. The claws came out. Yeah, love it. I yeah, I didn't. I I mean, wh- how he plays the the character, notwithstanding, like I didn't think he was bad, but not here. Not a fan. Stick to law. <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch turned down an offer to direct this film. Wow. I would have liked to see that. I mean, if there were like a quote unquote mainstream horror film for David Lynch to make, I feel like this would have been a decent fit. Imagine what the VHS would have looked like if he did it. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just had him direct the VHS <laughs> yeah, they part of the movie. <laughs> like a special, special second unit director just for the Absolutely. VHS. Just get a couple clips from Eraserhead in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so despite what I said earlier, I know that in an interview I saw with Gore Verbinski, he said that they wanted somebody who wasn't well known for the lead, but apparently the studio did offer the lead to Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Kate Beckinsale, who all turned it down. I could have seen Jennifer Connelly doing it. I could totally see that. Yeah, well, she did sure. go on to be in Darkwater, which is another J-horror mm-hmm. American remake. I saw that like years and years ago and just remember it being really boring. Haven't revisited it myself. This was until it chapter two, it, it chapter one came out in 2017. This was the highest grossing horror remake of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, budget for this film was 48 million. Box office was 249.3. So not terribly surprising that it kicked off a and trend. Like, Get us more J yeah. script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know I read when I was researching The Grudge that um, the success of this film was a direct impact on the studio greenlighting The Grudge. Uh, quick side note, I've I've never seen a David Lynch movie. A single one? I mean, rattle off a few. Dune? I just took a quick peek, but nope. Uh, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive. Mah- Mulholland um, Drive, nope. Lost nope. Highway. Eraserhead, nope. Elephant Man, nope. Inland Empire. Still nothing. Uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest David Lynch fan in the world, but uh, Blue Velvet is a great movie. Yeah, gotta make some trifectas, Mills. You could also you could also see that um, YouTube short film that he does uh, of some woman giving a man with no um, a quadriplegic man a bath. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. That could have been the VHS for the ring. Millsy, we're just gonna let him cook this one. <laughs> just keep going, T. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all it is. It's Wait, eight minutes of a woman it? giving this quadriplegic man a bath, and it's a short film. By I David love how Lynch. you can just film someone getting a bath and oh, call it a short film. Yeah. Mm. How many times have you watched it? Just the once. Okay. <laughs> the whole eight minutes? That's not a short film. That's a home movie. I'm, I'm sorry. 
That's an instructional video. <laughs> yeah. So this movie has two sequels. Uh, the first was The Ring 2, released in 2005, directed by the uh, director of the original Japanese film. Mm. Uh, Naomi Watts and the kid that you guys both want dead both came back. And the film also features mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Emily Van Camp. I saw The Ring 2 maybe in the theater and don't remember a goddamn thing about it except there was a scene where like some deer attacked Naomi Watts's car like while she was on some some road in the woods. Oh. I've seen yeah. I've seen that movie. I don't remember anything. I'm curious as to how it's described. They get pulled back into this uh curse again. Yeah, same. You know. I actually am curious to rewatch it now just to yeah, to see the connections. I remember not liking it though. And then uh, the second mm. sequel came out, as we said, in 2017, which is a good many years after this one, uh, directed by F. Javier Gutierrez. And it stars, uh, I don't think anyone from this one, uh, Johnny Galecki from uh, The Big Bang Theory and Roseanne is in it, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Interesting. So again, I'm I'm curious to watch that one just to see how they tackle the technological aspect of it in 2017. Oh, it's like a it's like a Dropbox mm. file. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, what's it called on uh, iPhones? Air AirDrop or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you get AirDrop. <laughs> Somebody just goes into like From an unknown number. <laughs> Somebody just goes into like yeah. Times Square and fucking AirDrops it. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> phones ringing at the same time. Damn. That would actually be kind of interesting for a scene yeah, like death, death drop. that happens. Everybody sees it and then all their phones ring at the same time and yeah. they all freak out. <laughs> Right. Hmm. She just starts picking them off, like, fast. Yeah. I guess. I like it. <laughs> Get working on that spec script. I was going to say, Millsy, you might you might be able to be a jobber yourself with the uh, <laughs> script writing. I forgot to mention this. I have it written down, but um, I really liked um, how, like, water would show up throughout the movie, you know, like, out of the phone, mm-hmm. you know, in the phone. You know, I know how I said, like, I didn't like the phone aspect, but just the water stuff would show yeah. up here and there. And then, like... Um, I liked all that stuff. The the hair, yep. right? Mm-hmm. In her throat. Yeah. That was that was really unsettling. I love that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like sprinkled those creepy little creepy bits. Yeah, I like how like uh the the dream that she had, um, where she's pulling the thing out of her throat. She like walks into a room and I think Samara is like sitting in a chair in the middle of the room and there's just this like kind of sagging puddle of water on the floor that she's sitting in the middle of. And then mm-hmm. at the end when she goes to the ex-boyfriend's apartment and he's dead sitting in the chair. There's like a, the same kind of sagging puddle of water around his chair. That's a cool visual. Yeah. I do think that the movie has like a, like a kind of gross feel to it right along with like the, the green color gradient and everything. I think that they got that pretty well. And she had a great scream at the end. That was, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Naomi Watts. Yeah. When she finds his body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else to say about, uh, the ring or shall we move on? Oh, let's move on. All right. Uh, coming up two years later in 2004, we have the grudge. The whole time I was in that house. Hello? I felt something was wrong. What happened there? I just want her to leave me alone. Oops. 
sorry this happened to you. Did you speak with the boy after you opened the closet? Briefly. Don't beat yourself up searching for a greater truth, Kat. The boy I saw in that house died three years ago. Once again, Dax and I both saw this in the theater and were weirded out by it. Tony, you said you saw it at home on a rental for the first time. Uh, do you remember what your thoughts on this one were back then? Originally, I wasn't. I felt like it was um, <laughs> kind of like a, a VHS copy of The Ring. <laughs> it was not as good and <laughs> worse quality. A copy um, of a copy. I, I don't know. This is some yeah, of the, exactly. the shine. Just, that's how all this is how all these movies are. They they're all copies of copies of copies, and they just degrade over time. But, um, anyways, <laughs> the the grudge. I just uh, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it when I originally saw it, and I'm not a huge Sarah Sarah. What's her name? Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller. Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller. Not, not a big, big Buffy fan. fan. No, so I, you know that didn't really attract me much. But uh, overall, I wasn't crazy about it. And then upon seeing it this time again, I think I liked it worse. I, <laughs> I picked the hell out of picked apart this movie to hell. So yeah, yeah. So I hadn't seen it since the theater. I'd been wanting to rewatch it for a while, and so like you know, this episode comes up, and I'm like, all right, I got to watch it again. And you know, I I admit that going into watching it, I wasn't like scared or something, but I was like, is this still gonna have the same effect on me? Like it might because I haven't seen it in so long, and I remembered so little about it. You know, I had watched the. Japanese one not too long ago and I remember my overwhelming feeling about that one being that it's just like there's so many plot lines and so much time jumping it's like kind of confusing like there's cool visuals and things but the movie didn't like blow me away and like rewatching this one this time I'll be curious to hear what you what your experience was Dax but um like I watched it alone at night and it really had no effect on me at all this time <laughs> I, I don't even think it's as scary as the Japanese one is. Like, there's a couple of cool moments still. And, like, the, the throat raspy noise is still, you know, unique and original or whatever. But, like, even at the end, I was just, like, waiting the whole movie for that scene where Kayako crawls down the stairs. And it's, like, so brief. Like, they she's, like, at the top of the stairs and then they cut and she's at the bottom. And I just, like, the whole thing... I felt kind of disappointed by because I guess I built it up in my head as being this a really effective horror movie. And on a rewatch, I admittedly was pretty let down. I will say um, at this point, my 40 years of life, I'm like officially desensitized (laughs) because yeah, it had no, it had zero like spine tingling, creepy effect to me. Yeah. Um, the things that are meant to do that, I actually love in this movie and like find a lot of it like really successful in what it's doing. But yeah, as far as like what made me like, like so weirded out initially when I first saw it and have not watched it since would like, did, did not, I mean, of course I knew it's coming, but like, um, yeah, it did not have that similar kind of effect. Like. Only other thing I could think of is like when I now when I think of like every time I've ever watched The Exorcist, it always like gets a reaction out of me where this did not. It had an extreme reaction the first time. The second time, I'm just like it's still enjoying it, but it did not 
really affect me like that at all. Kind of similar too. I was like, when the stair scene happened, I was like, that's it. I was like, I remember that being so much creepier. Yeah. But it's, ask, it's actually immediately after that where she opens the door. That's a pretty cool in her moment. head. That moment is awesome, and that's what originally did it from like did me in mm. on the first watch. I remember that that part being the creepiest shit I'd ever seen. If you had asked me now, like about twenty years, actually, it's you know, like eighteen years after seeing this in the theater. If you had asked me to describe the stair sequence, I would have been like, "Yeah, she's like all contorted, and uh, it's like a one long shot of her crawling all the way down the stairs." And no, it's not that at all. <laughs> it's like it's not that at all. And I'm yeah. wondering, was it more like that I, in the Japanese one? Like Tony, do you do you recall since you just watched it? Was the stairway sequence like more protracted in the the Japanese one? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I was thinking it's either that or it's just like the dozens of other movies we've seen since then that have something like that. Yeah, that it's like almost like misremembering. It's just so weird because her head pops out from behind the banister up at the top, and then she mm-hmm. like starts to crawl down the stairs and you know the stairs are like that l shape you never even see her on the lower part of the l like it just cuts from her up top to like now she's on the ground level crawling on top of the dude and it is creepy like watching him unable to stop her from like looming over him and her hair slowly covering his face oh yeah but yeah yeah that scene was not the way i remembered it and it had like no effect on me whatsoever like as i was watching it not that i'm like you know, I've been open about it. I that the movie freaked me out the first time I saw it. I'm not like embarrassed that I used to be afraid of it. Yeah, but, same here. But watching it now, I was seriously thinking to myself, like, why was this the thing that freaked me out so much? Because <laughs> it's not that effective. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like I said, being for me, it's feeling like uh, desensitized now because I've seen so much more horror since then, or what? But yeah, I, I honestly watching it this time. The one sense, which is not going to make any sense, when she finally did the thing where she popped through the door and did that creepy thing, I was relieved because I was like, (laughs) oh, this is why I was so creeped out. Because up until then, I was like, man, this is just not, this is not hitting me as hard as I thought it was going to. Not that that scene, that particular thing I'm talking about in the doorway is like bad now, but it's just like, I just remembered something being so unsettling and it was that. I was actually (laughs) relieved that I was like, okay, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. But not like, not creeped out. And then it ends so abruptly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before that, I do find, I mean, I still, I did enjoy this. I like Sarah Michelle Gellar. I like that it's filmed in Japan. It's almost like, it's only probably like what, two or three locations. Yeah. Which I like. And I actually really like that it's 2004, but there's not like a lot of like shoddy CGI throughout. Mm -hmm. Like the things that they use to creep you out are just kind of classic film effects with like creepy little kid, you know, squealing like a cat or (laughs) just like some of the, you know, you'll catch something moving in the background. I think when they first, when uh, that first girl gets like snatched up, up into the, the attic. I can remember. I forgot this, but watching it, it was. I kind of liked it that it's like you're kind. It's building up to that big jump scare, but you can actually see like the ghost moving in the background, mm-hmm. which I, I was like, I find that that kind of stuff I almost find more on. Yeah, you normally don't see that. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, I mean, it definitely goes. There's certain parts where it goes for like the sound um, initiated like jump scares, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff like when the sister is back at her apartment building and. 
she's in the elevator and you keep seeing the little kid through <laughs> the window. Like that stuff is like, that's cool. The co- completely low tech, but I love that when she's the sisters in the bed and the mom, there's like crawling up under the covers, like legitimately like terrifying without being like some terrible CGI effect. That's, or, that's creepy. I found that to be creepy. Yeah. Like that's like that kind of like low tech stuff they did. Even yeah. like the brother knocking on the door and opening it, like there's like unsettling things happen throughout it. It didn't get the visceral reaction out of me mm-hmm. that it did the first time, but like I really appreciated it for all that stuff, especially, you know, being almost 20 years old at the time where like, I think Millsy, I think Millsy, we had this conversation recently off the air where I was saying like the two thousands are probably like the worst decade for movies. If you think <laughs> about it. Yeah. Hmm. And like thinking of like those kind of things where it's like, they just like the overuse of bad CGI, like, this felt like at the time I would never have referred to it as like a breath of fresh air, but actually like watching it this time, I was like really kind of taken aback. I think there's like one, maybe one scene where she's what the sister again is watching on like the security video and the mom just kind of like pops up out of the shadow. Mm-hmm. It's like offhand, the only like random CGI effect I can think of. But other than that, it's like creepy, creepy sound. I just like creepy ghost people. Yeah. And I appreciate it for that. Well, as I said earlier, the ring had a budget of forty eight million. This one only cost ten. Wow. Yeah, and it's it didn't need any more. So it was pretty low fi. Yeah. And I know in the original Japanese one I remember mentioning that that was like a real house that they filmed in. Mm-hmm. This time it's based on the same exact layout, but this one was actually built in like a sound stage, but you know, it's still like they built that set, like so the entire house you could walk throughout it. Right. right. So like again, they, they they had to build the house, but it's still like kind of lo-fi. And um, mm-hmm. in case you did not recall, I mentioned this on that previous episode. This movie was directed by the original Japanese director of Juwan. Yeah. How crazy is that? It's just like imagine <laughs> like taking on that entire movie again and making it exactly almost exactly the same. Yeah, so he said that um he was excited about redoing it because it would allow him to fix some of the problems that the first one was criticized for. Mm. Uh so he actually like took that criticism and was like, "Oh, well, let me change some things." Now this was written by an American writer um Steven Susco who also gave us Texas Chainsaw 3D and Unfriended Dark Web. <laughs> but you know, obviously based on that original film, it's just like The Ring, very similar to the original except it has less plot lines, which I think is smart. Uh because that the Japanese original just felt so cluttered. It had like eight different storylines going on. And I remember specifically the original Japanese one had um, that story about like the three girls who went to the house and then they were cursed. Uh, that was excised from this movie entirely. I have not seen the American Grudge too, but apparently that is a big part of that movie. Like they just took that plot line out of this one and made the sequel around it. Hmm. I definitely found the Japanese one because that was the first time I watched it. it was right before this and I found it to be just so, so full of just so much, so much story and it was like confusing. Yep. So for sure. Yeah. I like how this one like unfolds, you know, the backstory of the, the family that's in there. And then also like the, the tragedy that kicks it all off. I kind of like the, the progression of how they give everything here. 
So here's a question. I, I mentioned or I asked when we were talking about the ring, um, if you guys like understood where the curse came from and like how it began and whatever. Like similarly in this movie, like do you fully understand like what it was that happened that caused the curse in the first place? Because I felt like I was still a little confused after watching this and it was like cleared up for me when I read uh like the the Wikipedia page about it. I'm like not completely lost, but what I, you know, obviously get is the whole like the husband father kills them both and then kills mm-hmm. himself because he's jealous of her of the wife like having a crush on yep. Uh the president, so Bullman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean that's like the the simplest the simplest gist. I didn't pick up on some of that. Like the whole time I was thinking cuz in the Japanese version is uh Kayako the mom. I thought she was like the little boy's sister. Ooh, honestly, I don't even remember. Like for whatever reason maybe it's because of Sadako uh, slash Samara from uh The Ring, but I was thinking that the female ghost in this was like a teenage girl also. Like, I think I was confused about like her being the little boy's mom and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like I just never really put it together. And it's another case of like, yes, I know the premises, like some, a violent death occurred and now the house is cursed. But like watching the movie, like when the movie ended, I don't think I could have explained exactly what initiated the curse. Kind of. I feel like I might've missed I might have missed it, but did the did he drown the kid? The um, dad. See, even now I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know that he, and so again, I read like you know the Wikipedia article, and I did like a bunch of research after the fact. So I'm not sure how much of this comes from the viewing of the movie, and how much is like extraneous stuff that I read. Because similar to The Ring. There were like deleted scenes from this and they toned it down again to not have an R rating. But apparently the whole reason that she even makes the ah noise is because he breaks her neck and that's her like trying to breathe through her like broken windpipe. Mm. Oh, wow. But he like breaks, he attacks her with a box cutting knife is what's supposed to happen. And there's like a scene they deleted where he's like walking around the house with this bloody box cutting knife. Then he breaks her neck and shoves her in a trash bag and sticks her up in the attic inside the closet. And then I don't remember what happens with the boy. It makes sense that he's that he drowned him, but then he hangs himself. And like, you know, at the end of the movie when um, there's like that that banging and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar opens the door. Or is it uh, Bill Pullman who opens the door and sees like the legs of the father hitting the wall, you know? I, I think it's her. Yeah, she's the one that sees that. There's another part that's cut out of that where that wasn't just the body swinging. What he was supposed to have seen that they filmed but cut out was the ghost of the little boy was sitting there swinging the dad's legs against the wall. <laughs> oh. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's should have put that in there. Yeah, so there's like a lot of little things. I'm not 100% sure like what you're supposed to get from watching the movie, but like so they they got rid of the whole box cutting knife thing in this and like she does have blood on her from like having been cut. But then I guess in all the like sequels and whatnot, she is entirely bloodless because the, again, they wanted to keep it like PG-13. Mm-hmm. So, depending on what you perceive to have 
you know, taken place in the actual movie, it's it's different from what you can read online as to what the original intention was, which is why, yeah. it, I don't know, it's a little confusing to me what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the way this movie plays out, I found, like, the flashbacks to be kind of confusing. Like, they just keep flashing back and back to the back and forth and back and forth. I just thought it was so many goddamn flashbacks. And I was, I know you need that to kind of unfold the story of, you know, what really happened and everything, but I just found that to be confusing. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to have like a, a big star, you know, but she would only, if it was chronological, she'd only be in the, you know, the third act. Yeah. So it's like, they have to do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there's, you know, family members and sisters and relatives and people who used to live in the house. And it gets a little confusing yeah. there with like, who is related to who and when and why did they move here? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they definitely all unfold that. I do find, I find a person like just creepy as like a, a horror element to be like, all you got to do is step foot in this house. And that's it. It got, it got you, which I find is like really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say like. Okay, so, you know, $10 million budget. I do like the fact that it's lo-fi, and for the most part, it's just, like, people in creepy makeup. And there's not, like, a bunch of CG and, like, crazy supernatural stuff or whatever. But I feel, and maybe it's because I watched this, like, right around the same time as The Ring, which I think is very visually rich and made by, like, somebody with a real kind of eye for visual flair. I feel like this movie's kind of, if not ugly, kind of boring looking. It It doesn't stand out a whole lot visually aside from the scenes with uh, Kayako and her brother. And um, the movie just on the whole felt kind of, it felt kind of cheap to me in like a little bit of a negative way. Did you guys feel that at all or? Yes. As you describe it, like I could definitely see you thinking that, especially if you put it up against the ring just as it's like a visual flair. But this, the, the grudge definitely feels just kind of like point and shoot filmmaking. Yeah. Like, there's not, not really, like, it's not packed full of, like, dynamic shots, like some stuff, like, there's some creepy stuff, like, I think the, probably that elevator scene might be, like, the most dynamic, like, feeling shot out of the whole thing, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see what you mean. Yeah, there's cool stuff like the, like, Kayako under the sheets, for example, like you already mentioned, like, that is a right. cool idea, cool moment, it's, like, hard for that not to be visually interesting, but, yeah, yeah on the whole, overall, I don't know, I... Yeah, I feel like the movie is just kind of, you know, very meat and potatoes filmed and, you know, not that every movie has to have, you know, the crazy cool visual style of the ring. But with like a moody movie like this, like a creepy movie that's supposed to instill dread. And again, it obviously did the first time I saw it years and years ago. But like this time I was watching it Mm -hmm. just thinking like, yeah, it's kind of drab and dull. Yeah, well, they're commuting for probably for 75% of the damn movie. All they're doing is driving somewhere, on the train somewhere, walking somewhere. It's just like, all they're doing is commuting. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know, just all the all the jumping around in time, it, it makes it a little bit, like, over-confusing, I feel. Like I said, I, I didn't fully 100% grasp the exact backstory as I was watching it. I feel like this movie, for me at this point, is just, like those cool ghost moments but in between it like you know thinking about the ring like that is like a really interesting kind of detective story where there's like that you know ticking clock and they are trying to solve something and uh this movie it's just like what is the plot progression exactly it's just like 
people go to the house and then they're like disturbed by it. They find themselves back there and they die. It's just like there's no yeah. real thrust to the plot. <laughs> a lot of the characters don't even ever meet each other because it takes place over so many yeah. different time periods. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of messy and bland to me it's very, on this watch. It's very messy. And how come she doesn't ever die? I think like she's still haunted by it at the end, isn't she? So why doesn't... Well, yeah, it's like, that's like also saying like the abrupt like end to the, where, you know, the mom's coming down the stairs and all that. It's like, yeah, why is she not just dead like everybody else is at that point? It just like cuts to white screen and then it's over. She like, yeah, she sets, presumably sets the house on fire and then somehow she survives. But then in the hospital, she's still haunted by Kayako and. But Kayako kills everybody else that she haunts. It doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean like Dax the, made the, the point, like, you know, once you step foot in the house, you're kind of fucked. But then, like, oh, I know right, you, right. you criticized the ring a little bit and saying, like, you know, they spent all that time trying to solve something and then in the end they didn't. But at least that yeah. one, I feel like there's a a caveat, like, oh, there is a way to kind of save yourself that they discover and it, like, puts a little bit of a cap on the movie. Like, oh, well, they're going to transfer it to mm-hmm. somebody else. This is just, like... You know, you had your big climax where she sets the house on fire, but what did that really accomplish? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't like I don't like that. Like she didn't learn of a way to stop it. She's just yeah. going to die presumably after the credits roll. I don't know. I really just actually dislike the the trope ending of being like that one last shot of uh the ghost getting her, you know, wide-eyed or whatever. She's like behind her. Like yeah, yeah I feel like it. I would have much rather just seen like if it if it ended with like the house is on fire and everyone died, I would think it would be a much better ending. <laughs> and it just raises questions like, is Kayako's like haunting gonna continue? If the house burned down and somebody goes to the vacant lot, are they now cursed because it is the same place or does the house play into it? Or yeah, it's like a little messy. Also what I hate, which of course they put in on purpose as like a for a sequel, is like someone there's an offhand comment that we were able to save most of the house, which I rolled, yeah. I rolled my eyes at. I'm just, oh, God, well, I was trying to research the rules of the curse and everything, and I'm not sure I missed this, but like, or I don't even know if this is true, but I thought it said that it's like a kind of like a chain letter where every time someone dies, that that because they die in a horrible way or something, that they become a ghost too or something like that, and it's like a Kind of like it spreads like a virus, kind of. But I don't even, I don't know. I didn't catch that though. Well, I mean, they definitely never gave that impression because you never see like Bill Pullman ghost or something, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, that would have been cool if they had like Bill Pullman with like the the white kind of Japanese face paint on, like haunting someone. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's why I question like, you know, they, they mention in like the opening credits or whatever that like when somebody dies a violent death, then that place is then affected Mm -hmm. by it but like again does it have to be the house i i don't remember exactly how it plays out but i know in the japanese one it's insinuated that like the curse ends up pretty much destroying the entire town and like the whole town is filled with like missing persons flyers drifting through the streets and right is that like everybody just happens to be drawn to the house or does it spread kind of like tony said where just every single person who dies then becomes a ghost in the place where they died and before you know it it's just uncontrollable or yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter that much. But yeah, these are the things that I think about as a yeah. I mean, I don't. Nerd. I think in this this version, it's, to me, it's just definitely established as 
a haunted house that yeah, you yeah. are cursed as soon as you step foot. And and maybe it's just the ghosts will toy with you until they kill you. <laughs> yeah. Seemingly they'll they'll follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll get you eventually. Uh so this one had three sequels. Uh The Grudge 2 came out in 2006 directed by the original Japanese director Takashi Shimizu as well. Uh Sarah Michelle Geller comes back and is joined by Amber Tamblin who also was in the ring actually. Yep. Jennifer Beals and Sarah Romer. Uh have any of you seen that movie? I don't recall. No. Yeah, I never have. Once again, I'm kind of curious too now to see how they continue the story, but uh, so then The Grudge 3 came out in 2009, direct-to-video. Uh, was directed by a guy named Toby Wilkins, who made a movie called Splinter. It was like a monster movie that I remember seeing and thought was okay. Shawnee Smith from The Blob and Saw is in it. And then cut to 2020, a it was supposed to be a reboot, but then somewhere in the production they decided to make it take place in the same like universe during the same time period as the previous grudge movies, but not directly connect to them anyway. It's just called the grudge in the most boring decision ever. (laughs) Terrible. Directed by a guy named Nicholas Pesci, who made a movie called the eyes of my mother, which I feel like was all the rage when it came out, but I watched and really didn't care for. It's essentially like an A24 style movie. I don't know if it is A24, but it's like one of these horror movies that thinks it's all that in a bag of chips, but it really just feels like artsy fartsy bullshit to me. I think it's in black and white. (laughs) Millsy's every comment. Millsy makes a A24 movie. (laughs) Um, There are A24 movies I like. They're just usually not horror films. It takes place during the events of the previous three films, as I said. And stars Andrea Riseborough, John Cho, Betty Gilpin, Lynn Shay, and William Sadler. So, hmm. okay. once again, kind of curious to see how they continued things, but not dying to see any of those movies. Me neither. And as I mentioned, budget of $10 million, this one did 187.2. So, mm. wow. not as good as The Ring, but when you consider that The Ring costs like almost five times as much as this, this one technically made more on its uh, return on investment. Mm-hmm. So, not bad. Oh, yeah. And uh, produced by Sam Raimi and Rob Tapert and co starring uh, Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi. That's how you know he got in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of fun. All right. Anything else to say about the grudge or is it time for one missed call? No, let's move on. Nope. (laughs) All right. Coming four years later and many people think putting the nail in the coffin of the J horror American remake genre, we have one missed call. Leanne got a phone call and so did Shelly right before they died. The girl's right. There's got to be some kind of connection here. It's like you get a voicemail. Call came in two nights ago. You hear your death. They get in your head, Beth. And then you die. Look, these things work here. They get in your head, Beth. I'm going to be next. I'll keep you safe. Any dead people call? We're not home. This girl needs protection. Everybody seems to be linked together somehow. We could trace it back to the source and find out who started this. I have a question for the group. Mm-hmm. Is Abraxas 
the worst <laughs> move. <laughs> uh, so this one's funny. Um, we discussed it again. I, I brought it up on the oft mentioned previous episode we did where we talked about the Japanese versions of these films that when I was doing my research, I read that um, one missed call is rated by Rotten Tomatoes as the second worst movie of the 2000s, only topped by Ballistic X versus Sever. Oh, shit. (laughs) And I didn't even know this was a thing, but apparently every year Rotten Tomatoes names a moldy tomato, which is their worst movie of the year. Uh And this won that distinction with a 0% rating in the year 2008. Nice. And then, so I knew that. Uh, I knew I was going to have to watch these movies, and um, I knew that my coworker JC had this movie on Blu-ray because when I mentioned that I was going to be watching the Japanese version however many months ago, he thought I was talking about the American version and was like, that movie's a piece of shit. I bought it, and it's terrible. <laughs> so I went into the store uh when i knew i was gonna have to watch this one and i was like hey do you still have that uh one missed call blu-ray and he's like yeah why and i was like can i borrow it and he's like i'll, I'll give it to you you keep it i don't want it back <laughs> so I, I have another question i now own a copy of the one missed call blu-ray yeah that was my question is it gonna stay in your collection no <laughs> i will be passing it on to somebody else much like the tape in the ring <laughs> excellent so yeah i went into this one having that knowledge of the Rotten Tomato thing and JC's violent reaction when I brought the movie up, uh, just thinking like, this is going to be dog shit. I don't understand how it's going to be that bad, but this movie is going to be awful. And I think it's because of all of that buildup. Like it's, it's bad. I, it's not as bad as I was expecting, but it's pretty bad. It, for me, it was just incredibly generic would be the best way to describe it. But what did you guys think? Uh, yeah, it was it was awful in all aspects. I mean, visually, the acting was terrible and the story was terrible. Everything was terrible. <laughs> so I wish I missed this one. Uh, <laughs> I would say, like, at the time, if I had saw this in 2008, like, would I have immediately gone back and be like, oh, that's for far and away the one that gets the moldy t- tomato? I completely understand because I think this is a worthless movie. I don't think this, <laughs> there's a single, like, redeeming factor in this movie. It's it's everything. It's the opposite yeah. of everything I said about, like, liking the grudge for its, like, lo-fi, no CG, like, you know, uh, creep factor. This thing is just ugly and, you know, it's packed with shitty sci-fi. It's just, it's, this is like a poster child for me even saying earlier about the 2000s being like the worst decade for movies. Like this is a shining example mm-hmm. of that. This is the only reason this movie shines is to be for that. So it really sucks because I was like, when I heard you guys talk about doing the Japanese one, I heard the concept that you get a voicemail of how you're going to die or whatever. Like that concept sounds amazing, and then they just—it just gets muddied up with just all these convoluted rules and all these annoyances. And it's like you know, look at like um, what was the other one we talking about with the sexually transmitted ghost? Um, it, oh, follows. it follows. Like it's so simple. I love that movie. It's so Same. simple, 
keep it simple. You know, it's like, why, why do they have to add like the candy in the mouth and all these stupid things? It's yeah. like, oh my God, it just drives me crazy. I mean, I personally feel if you're citing it follows as like a good example of what this could have been. I personally feel that that movie has an incredible premise that gets ruined by breaking its own rules by the end, but uh, which is kind of what this movie also does. <laughs> so I'd I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say it's more of a comparison than a uh, contradiction, but that's just me. <laughs> no, I'd, I, I'd no, go with Tony. I'm with you, Tony, because I, I also love It Follows, but I just think this is just not a great premise where the Japanese version like does what it does, but this just, uh, it, it it goes out of its way to muddy up the works and to be ugly and just not, not scary in the least. You know, it feels like it wants to be final destination more yeah. than anything else. Oh, you know, and it had so many opportunities to like, you know, show some good gore or anything. And it just totally doesn't. Well, it's because all these movies at the time were trying to go for that PG 13 yeah. rating because they want to get the like high school students in to yeah. see it. Like mm-hmm. that's why all of these movies ended up being PG 13. Yeah. But like, I think it's funny that, you know, if you watch the Japanese one, it has similarities to the premise of uh final destination, just in the, the core concept. Mm-hmm. But this one, they had that scene that's a direct, like, totally. Hey, oh, it seems like we're going to do the same thing they did, but we're not, you know, where the guy's like walking in traffic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Which but then, is like straight out of, I think, the first Final Destination where someone gets hit by like a bus out of nowhere. And like mm-hmm. this one, it just goes on and on where he's like walking through traffic, then he mm-hmm. has to come back across the street, and then he starts to go back across again. And then there's a completely unrelated explosion that right. sends a fucking pipe yeah, through his like, chest. That's like, totally. I, was just, like, oh. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> And before that, where like the girl dies at like the train overpass, it's like you can barely tell what happens because like this they throw in like a CGI dead dead body or something. Oh, it's terrible. And yeah, and then in the Japanese, they showed like the severed hand mm-hmm. with the phone. Remember, they don't show anything. Like she got hit by a train, and she looks like she just like oh. like ha- you know had a heart attack and fainted. So it doesn't look like anything. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's shit. It's got a shitty force and ghost. The CGI, when they do show stuff, the CGI yeah, is just god awful. So like oh two thousand and eight. I mean, that this is the same year as <laughs> Iron Man even. It's like goes to show you like <laughs> where budgets can go when it comes to uh yeah. computer effects. Budget for this one was twenty million, by the way. Oof. Brutal. The hell where did it go? I mean, you didn't get any actors, that's for sure. They spent at least two Two or three hundred bucks on that Force Ghost at the end, I think. <laughs> what did they pay Ed Burns? Because I hope not a lot, because he didn't do shit in this movie. There's also so Shannon Sossaman of A Knight's Tale. Oh, underused. Yeah, she. the two of them should have stayed far away from this turd. This thing. This thing. Thanks. <laughs> and I thought it was so strange. Um, there was a house party. They were having a house party, and they're making a big pasta pasta meal at a house party? What the hell? I thought the same thing. The hosts are <laughs> the hosts are in there doing like a dinner party dinner for a raging hell? house party. Doesn't make a lick of sense. Oh, so strange. She's like, oh, do you want to cut the parsley? Like, while wow, there's like a kegger going on. Like, <laughs> stupid. Yeah, and then talk about like all you know the rules of everything with the centipedes. Like you see centipedes uh, as, you, as you got the curse yeah. or whatever. It's like what? Why? Yeah. It just makes no sense. Well, I think the insinuation there was that, so it all turns out in the end that, uh, you know, the character, this is just like the Japanese one, by the way. I thought this was going to be completely Mm -hmm. different, but they think that the mother 
was hurting the daughter because of that Munchausen by proxy thing where just like in it where uh, Eddie's mom mm-hmm. is like keeping him sick because it means he like relies on her and she gets attention and sympathy. But it turns out it's not the mom. It's the older sister mm-hmm. doing it. And I think the insinuation was that the older sister had a jar of centipedes that she would like use to torture her sister in their bedroom because it was sitting on the dresser. Oh, right, right. And like, why else would there be centipede imagery? I mean, I feel like the Japanese love centipedes just for horror purposes Mm -hmm. as it is because there's like a like a boutique blu-ray distributor that recently put out a movie called centipede horror from japan but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's the uh the reason that the centipedes are in there it's just a visual thing so i'm taking that like for granted but that's Mm -hmm. my attempt to give some logic to it i guess this movie's completely lacking in logic and flair of any kind but I think you nailed it right there. Did what'd you think of that demon baby deck? Ah, <sighs> demon baby. Or ghost baby. Or ghost baby, whatever that thing was. Oh, it looked awful. Just, it, was it was terrible. It was just, yeah, it was so just awful. Oh my it's god. It's just like it's, it's just, just like a, this movie is complete low effort. Yeah, yeah. This is just like let's we we paid enough to get the dame for this movie. Let's make it oh uh, like oh we watched we watched the original once. Let's let's uh, churn out a script and just get this thing made and hope we get the kind of returns like the ring yeah. and the grudge cut. Now they they took the battery out of the cell phone and it still rang, right? Yeah, remember that correctly. Yeah. It's just like why, you know? It's like why can't you write something better? Yeah. Like you know, I mean, I'm I'm as I've already said, like really like not crazy about the haunting of technology, anyways. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless it's like uh, you know, like a shopping mall robot. That goes crazy. I mean, I well, that know. wasn't a haunting. That was just uh, the mall got hit by a lightning bolt. <laughs> I could think of a creepier situation. You know, you take the battery out of your cell phone or destroy your cell phone, and then guess what? All of a sudden, some other person, some stranger, gets the call, and they're like, they're like um, possessed to bring the phone to you or something. You yes, know, like that's better. Anything's uh, better totally. than the battery with no phone. You know, just haunted oh, tech God. is haunted tech is just not not a fan. Yeah. What about Chucky? Uh, I guess that's. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just like the new new age kind of tech, because it's like I like Christine too. But it's like if it's mm. once it's like cell phones and iPads and. Like I was gonna say you got movies Fr- like refrigerators. Um, I don't know. You've got movies like The Lift, which is about a haunted elevator, and I think Toby Hooper directed a movie called The Mangler about a haunted laundry folding machine. Specific. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like it's like you could say about you could say about anything, any movie, any horror movie. Like it's it's your own personal opinion. Is it cool or is it lame? Certain things are cool. Folding machine, cool. Car, cool. <laughs> cell uh, phone. Let's not go that far because we cell, haven't seen the Mangler. Well, I'm just saying, cell phone, <laughs> lame. I don't know. It's just. But yeah, similar to the Grudge. Um, this, because if you recall, Dax, I remember us, I believe, both feeling that uh, the Japanese version of One Miss Call Chikushinari was like longer than it needed to be mm-hmm. and kind of overcomplicated, especially sure by was. the time you get to the hospital and it's like, oh, this feels like the co- the climax. And then it turns out that the mom isn't the bad guy after all. And then the movie keeps going on. Right. This, just like The Grudge, felt like a simplified version of the uh, the original but when I say simplified, I don't mean in concept because the whole premise is still pretty convoluted. It's just like 
there's less scenes like uh, the previous, like the Japanese one had that part where a guy is like to drag down an elevator shaft by the ghost. And that's like that whole part's not in this movie. But then mm-hmm. like the one other big difference to me was, do you remember the end of the Japanese one where out of the blue, the main character gets possessed by the little girl? Jeez, I completely forgot that. This one loses that entirely, but like, it's not like they came up with a cooler idea. They just had a 34 second scene where like the ghost girl appears Mm -hmm. to kill the main character. And then a ghost version of her mom comes and takes her away. Like that was such an anticlimactic, uninteresting, shitty ending. Just, just straight shit. This entire runtime Mm -hmm. is dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) Ibraxis is still worse, but I hate this movie. Well, I think this one, it's like, you know, it's very much that early 2000s style of movie that I think we all know and are like, there's like that weird comfort level of like, oh, it's teens being killed by something supernatural. Whereas Abraxas, it's just like so ugly and it's nonsense. I I still say it hardly feels like a real movie. (laughs) Right. It's complete nonsense. This is just Yeah, this this is a bad movie, but it's like it it resembles a real movie. (laughs) Yeah. I would say this is fitting of a 0. 0.0 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. I just, like, I remember with the Japanese one feeling like it's a cool basic premise and, like, they do some interesting things with it. Like, I think the idea of, like, having the live televised event where they, like, you, you see this happen in front of cameras and, like... I think that that's an interesting idea. This version, I don't know if it, I don't think it's insinuated that it's live. It feels like a taping, but both versions, just like that scene happens and then they drop it and nothing ever comes from it. Right. And yeah. this one, it even, it's just less interesting. They spend less time on it. It's not built up as much. It's not as effective. Yeah, that's the thing about this movie is the whole thing feels half-assed. And I tried to do some reading about, like, the behind the scenes. And you read a lot of conflicting information. Like, it feels like people passing the buck where, like, the writer of the movie, a guy named Andrew Clavon, who he's a novelist and I couldn't find any other films that I recognize that he worked on. He claims that he didn't see the original movie and when he wrote the script he thought it was supposed to be a comedy. So he's like, yeah, all the dialogue was supposed to be funny, which what? that sounds like someone trying to lie their way out of how bad the script was. A hundred percent. I don't it's believe that for a second, but then um, the director, Eric Vallette, who as well couldn't find anything else that I recognize that he did. He has like disowned the movie entirely and claims that like he was sold a false bill of goods by the studio and the end result was like nothing like what he wanted it to be, which I buy a little more. Yeah. To say that other thing, like he didn't read this or see the other movie, that just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. That just and sounds... again, like just claiming that it was supposed to be a comedy, like fuck off. It's not like, right. yeah. it still feels like it's supposed to be a horror movie. It's just a poorly written one. Yeah. Like I, I don't think Shannon Sossaman is bad. I don't think Ed, Ed Burns is like bad. I don't think either of them had well, anything just, to work yeah, with. They just got nothing to, there's no, there's nothing exciting for them to, you know, show any muscle they might have. Yeah, it just the whole thing feels like it got greenlit because these kind of movies were popular, popular at the time. Nobody involved knew, like, had any real passion for it. 
and they just like tried to do paint by numbers oh, 100%. and it ends up just feeling like very boring and uninspired and they like yeah. wanted to make a cheap movie and hopefully get teeny boppers in there to see it and yeah. make them a bunch of money it's, yeah it's just the problem with like yeah with the ring and even the grudge it's like it you know it relies heavily on like a, a decent story you know and it's like you know and elements of like the story like being creepy and uh the curse and everything but like you can try and copy that. It just it comes off just so cheap and you know not authentic or something. Not like a like a slasher movie you can make a copy of. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of story to it, but you know, something like this needs a little more effort. It's just a shame because I my reaction watching the Japanese one was like, this isn't great, but there's like some great ideas in here that if interpreted yeah. differently could make a really interesting movie. And it's like they had the chance to do that, and instead of making it better, they made it worse. <laughs> With this remake. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Fun fact, uh, Guillermo del Toro was offered this movie, and he turned it down to make Hellboy 2 The Golden Army. <laughs> Smart man. Can you imagine the one missed call directed by Guillermo del Toro? <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine it would have to be better. <laughs> but. Yeah. Ed Harris and Gabriel Byrne were both signed on to be in this movie at some point, and they both left production before filming began. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that one of them was supposed to be the uh, Ed Burns part and the other one was supposed to be like the uh, television host. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would be Makes my sense. guess. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, this is never a good sign, but this movie was filmed in 2006 and held back until 2008. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, it was not screened for critics, so the studio obviously knew what they had on their hands. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they probably shelved it because it sucked. And then we're like, we're having a rough year. Maybe we should put out that turd. <laughs> yeah, toss it out and let's make a little right. money. Put it out in January. And they did make a little money. Uh, budget was $20 million, Box office was 45.8. I mean, I would think that's still a success anyway. You slice it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if advertising for this movie was like 20 plus million, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, it, it came close to breaking even if not made a little. Right. Made a little scratch. I mean, and, and for what the actual final product is, they got to be glad they got a single dollar out of it. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Yeah. What do you know? What's the release date? Do you have the release date? I'm curious where in January. the year they put it, whether it was Halloween or, or, January, or January. I don't have the exact release date, no. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one missed call. Like I said, I I feel like all the things I heard about it beforehand made me expect it to I don't know I, I I feel like I didn't have as strong a negative reaction as you guys like I definitely think it's a shitty movie it's like not good but I from everything I read and like JC's reaction when he lent me the movie I was expecting to just be like rolling on the floor laughing at how bad it is and god I, I wish it was that it that's why I say I think I think the worst thing is that it is just so typical and generic and samey as like everything else. Yeah. Like even the whole idea of like the the creepy people that they're seeing with like eyes where oh, their mouths so should lame. be and like cracking yep. skin. Like what is the point of any of that? There is one so ghost in the movie that's haunting people and it doesn't look mm-hmm. like any of those. Like the Japanese version was just that one girl who would come and, and get people. But in this one, she they're they're having visions of these other characters that right. it feels like they put in there just because there were other movies with creepy characters like that yeah. at the time, and that they probably had no yeah. idea what they're going to do. 
and it came down to the wire. We're like, all right, we got to, you know, CGI something onto these faces. So they just made them ugly and yeah. shitty looking. And it's just crazy that like the the poster, like the main image attached to this movie is one of those characters that you see once on the street God. who has nothing to do with anything. God awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this movie came out on January 4th. I was just going to say, Tony, you ready for this? <laughs> January 4th. Wow. They couldn't bury that any earlier in the year, no. literally. God. <laughs> They're like, as soon as we could get this on the release calendar, we're doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one missed call. Brutal watch. Uh, shall we talk some posters? Please. Uh, so for the ring, I mean, I don't know what the image is. Probably the the image I have mostly in my mind is like the box art, which is like the uh, DVD box. Yeah. Yeah. Like the bluish greenish, like the well with maybe her standing there or something. Oh, I think of like the Well, I always think of the title where it's Naomi Watts screaming and it's like. But it's, oh. the backdrop of it is like the letters are cut out. Yeah. And then it's the well. Yeah, I remember that as well. But, um, you know, for a movie like The Ring, where it's like, it's a mystery, like, what is The Ring? What is this movie even about? This is a pretty decent poster design. I mean, it's got like the static lines because it's a videotape. Mm-hmm. It's got the circle, which you wouldn't know until you see the movie what exactly that indicates. Before you die, you see the ring. It's like a line from the movie. It makes the perfect tagline. You know, it's not, it's like, it doesn't directly have a ton of things that like you would look at this and say like, oh, I want to see it because of this visual or that visual. But it's like pushing the mystery, kind of like the original posters for the Matrix where it was like, what is the Matrix? I was just going to say the same thing. This makes me immediately think of the Matrix. Yeah. So I think this is a super, super successful poster personally. Yeah, being being a graphic designer, it's like you appreciate when it's you know not something super visual like picture you know pictures, but just text and graphic yeah. elements. Yeah. So, um, I, I would have liked a little more insinuation of VHS. I mean, I could see it now, but I don't think I picked that up or would have picked it up originally when I when I saw that poster. Mm-hmm. But because that would have sold me personally more on <laughs> on it if I knew about that. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in general, just. I think this is a really solid design. Yeah. No, it is. They, they mm-hmm. kept it simple when they should have, and it was effective. Mm-hmm. And then the grudge, I mean, what else do you really need than this? I mean, that's a strong visual from not only this movie, but this entire genre. <laughs> the stringy mm-hmm. black hair with the, the glaring eye. Yeah. I almost feel like, yeah, like that that image just like represents, yeah, the whole era of jr like that's what i think of mm-hmm. yeah i i feel like this is also a very strong design it's yeah. like a lot of black empty space that one creepy visual the title stands out in red and the release date you know the tagline it never forgives it never forgets you don't really need but it's tiny down the bottom it's not really hurting mm-hmm. anything yeah i love the pop up just the two necessary pops of color you know it's got mm-hmm. a pretty big star and it's simple, thankfully. Yeah, I, I think it's also a pretty good poster. And then one missed call is just like, <laughs> just like the just like the movie, ugly and worthless. <laughs> it's just like that's not just doesn't like you said, Milzy. It just doesn't even make sense for this to be a thing in the movie, well, let like, alone your poster. Like, this looks creepy. You know, people will think that's creepy. 
I'm imagining that they like hired somebody like, yeah, we want you to design a poster for this movie. And then they gave him a copy to watch and the guy watches it and he's like, oh, kind of sucked. Like, what could I possibly do? And he's like, oh, the one interesting visual in the whole thing is those mouth eyes. (laughs) But even though it has nothing to do with the movie, like, here's the poster. (laughs) Maybe he came up with the design of the of the poster. And then when the the people making the movie were like, oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Let's throw that in the. Let's rush those onto some faces with the, yeah. the, the CGI intern. He'll take care of that. <laughs> what will it sound like oh. when you die? Not awful, not great. Just yeah, that's whatever. Kind of here nor there. <sighs> yeah. This one's just bland. This is. I wouldn't say this is not simple, but it's just bland and it's just not enticing or exciting or yeah. Aside from the fact that the person is holding a cell phone, it just it's there's nothing specific to the movie. Like it tells you nothing about it again, because that character that's pictured on the poster, you could take them out of the movie. It would change nothing. It's yeah. 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 So weird. Yeah, I, I feel insulted. Like my intelligence is insulted by mm-hmm. this. Cause they're just trying to get a cheap, cheap thrill out of the mouth or eyes. And yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, like, Oh, that's, I've never dumb. seen that before. Well, yeah, there's a reason you never seen it before. Cause it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Break it down for the people, Mills. You know, I'm going to throw it over to Tony. Tony, break it down for the people. Rate these posters. What's a lot of pressure? (laughs) Um, The ring. What what do I start with? The best or the worst? Whatever you want to do, man. However you feel, man. You can can rate it one to five, whatever you want. Uh, (laughs) All right. One missed call gets a ring. A zero. (laughs) Zero. Um, the grudge, I will give, I will give the grudge four out of, uh, three out of five, um, cats, creepy cats. I don't know. Okay. Okay. It's not that easy once and you're on the, the spot, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. No, it's not. The it's, ring, I will Millsy's give Millsy's a god among out. men when it comes to this. Yeah. The ring, I will give four out of five, um. Uh, crazy horses going over a cliff. Oh, <laughs> okay. well oh. done, well played. Fuck you and the horse right. you rode in on. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right, uh, by borrow burn time. I know where I stand. Uh, would anybody like to go first, or I'll go first. I'm pretty sure the writing's on the wall for mm. the whole the whole group. Um, easily, easily launch one missed call into the sun (laughs) just a prime example of terrible hollywood decisions all around i think and just uh lacks any redeeming quality i don't think it's even it's it's not even remotely close to you know quality level level with the other two i mean i think the grudge and the ring are far far better movies of course um for me the grudge is my buy the ring is my borrow. I think for a lot of reasons, Millsy said the ring is better looking. It's got like a better uh, production value. But when I think about like the, this genre of movie, I, I would actually find things in the grudge still creepy, even though they don't keep me up nights like they did. Might They might have <laughs> back when I first saw it. But a lot of like what I love of the grudge, it's like uh, 90 minutes, you know, very few locations, actual creepy things without 
over the top CGI. So I like, I love it for a lot of those reasons. It's not, I think I would have thought it was more effective at everything before the rewatch, but still liked it. And the ring, I still think is a great movie. Also effective in a lot of ways. Um, probably more so for me as like a, like the detective story where it kind of falls off after that, but still enjoy the hell out of it. And as uh, I think made subsequent J horror remakes had a lot to live up to after it came out, but mm-hmm. that's it for me. All right, I'll go. Um, I am going to buy the ring, but then I'm going to sell it on eBay. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to borrow the grudge and then immediately re- give it back. And then <laughs> <laughs> one missed call, I'm going to launch into the sun, but I'm going to find oh, I uh, like one this of the bigger already. suns from this other one of those other galaxies I just discovered. <laughs> mm. Way bigger sun to launch into. <laughs> T is going to unlock wormhole technology for one reason, yeah. <laughs> to throw one missed call into the largest sun he could find. <laughs> yeah. Fair okay. enough. Uh, I am also going to burn one missed call. I don't know. Maybe for the uh, maybe for the gram, I should uh, literally burn the copy that JC doesn't want Ooh, back. Yes. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Maybe that's that maybe that's the kind of real for the the content theater the content we need to finally get in front of some new people. The ultimate yeah. disrespect, literally disrespect. burn it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, it's a it's no, it's a nothing of a movie, really. There's no way so, there's no way anyone out there likes that movie, right? I mean, you I know tried somebody. like looking up reviews, and people won't even review a good or bad. I don't think it's like <laughs> no one cares. It's like not even worth writing a bad review. <laughs> you got to warn people, man. You got to. The Grudge is going to be my borrow. I Because of how much of a visceral reaction I had to it in the past, I honestly expected it to be closer to The Ring for me, but I actually think it's a good couple of steps down from The Ring. Just like I said, this time I just thought it was like, dull looking and kind of boring and confusing with the only bright spots really being the couple of ghost scenes. But I mean, there's not even a ton of that in the movie, not to say that like a ton more ghosts would have made it that much better, but yeah. And even like the ghost scenes that are there, like what we talked about with the stairway sequence at the end, just like didn't live up to my memory. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty disappointed by it overall, but it it's definitely way better than one missed call. So it gets the borrow. <laughs> and then the ring, like I said, uh, I liked it in the past. Last time I watched it, for whatever reason, I wasn't feeling it, and I gave it a three. I fully turned around on it this time. Like, I was engaged and into it and feel like I might have liked it more than I ever have before. I just think it's incredibly well made. It still looks really good. I love the concepts in it. You know, some of the things don't necessarily make 100% sense, like the technological aspects with, like, the phone and everything that we talked about but i mean it's clear that this was the to me it's clear that this was like the the high point that all of the other you know follow-up movies like the grudge and one miss call were trying to hit and i don't think any of them came close to be completely honest so the ring is gonna be my buy well done boys yeah a horror cultural appropriation uh, so, as per usual, when we have a guest on, uh, they get the honor of choosing what number on our giant list of themes we're going to tackle next. So, Tony, uh, 
pick a number between 1 and 240. Come on, T. Big numbers. Make it a good one. Um, well, I was originally going to pick one, but then I recently listened to an episode and you guys got number one, <laughs> which was pretty crazy. Then it started making me think that that poor movie that would have been next, number two, would never get picked because you're never going to get one again. So I'm going to pick one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> which I think now uh, means that this is the third theme we ever came up with for the show. Because it's now moved up twice to the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, next episode for the season finale of this season of Triple Threat Theater, we are going to be talking when animals attack. Oh, <laughs> two of these for sure, maybe three, but I'm, I won't know until I watch that third one. Uh, I've mm. I've seen them all. Okay, good job, T. That sounds exciting. Do you now wish that you were on next episode, T? <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're not but thank you for joining us for this one of course anytime <laughs> it was a pleasure to you. pleasure as always uh depending on how many people we get to agree to come back and be a second time guest like you uh could be another like four seasons before you get to come back or if nobody wants to show up we'll gladly have you back next season yeah so Thanks, guys. <laughs> keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. Uh, you keep making them. I'll keep listening. All All thank right. you very much. Our biggest good to fan. know that we got at least one listener out there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Until next time, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Tony Sinani. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.